So those those who don't know, I'm uh, one of the associate pastors here, uh, filling in for George today, our lead pastor. Um, and as uh, Michael shared, we are in uh, Daniel. Um, and the reason why we, we chose to go through Daniel's, uh, Daniel shows us how to respond in an unfriendly culture. Daniel is one of the greatest men to ever live in spite of the fact that he was a minority living in a hostile environment. And we just thought, man, in today's age and what we go through, sometimes we can feel like we're, especially if, if you're a Christian, being you could feel this is a hostile environment that you could feel as a minority. So that's why we chose to go through this Daniel. Um, and then this passage we're talking about today, we're actually talking about Daniel's later years. He's actually 82 years old. There's been a change in the kingdom. Uh, the Babylonians had crushed the Syrian Empire, and now the Persian Empire has crushed the Babylonian Empire. So Daniel gets a new boss. And this is what it says in, uh, we're going to be in chapter 6 almost the entire day for Daniel. This is verse 1. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. And he appointed a high officer to rule each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officials and protect the king's interests. So there's a new king. And usually when there's, there's a new empire, you clean house. You don't keep the old administration. But Daniel was such a man of character that when the new kingdom took over, the new Darius the Mede, he says, I'm keeping that guy. Not only does he keep Daniel in his administration, he puts him over a third of all the provinces. Now, why did Daniel keep getting promoted? We're gonna, you see this all throughout Daniel's life, time and time again, him getting promoted. If you're interested in being promoted at work, uh, you need to study the text of Daniel. Because there are so many reasons we keep seeing Daniel get promoted over and over time again. And so I, I just listed a couple here I, I thought were in, these, these are just key. Um, the whole story today isn't about how to get promoted at work, but I thought this might be a few cool key things. Uh, number one, his professional competence made him stand out. He was a gifted leader, and he never stopped learning. Leaders always are learning. Number two, his personal character made him stand out. He was not just gifted in his abilities. He was a good guy. And the Bible tells us that he was honest, he was reliable, he was hardworking, he was incorruptible, and they couldn't find anything to attack his character. And the third reason he stood out was his public commitment to God. And this is the secret in Daniel's life. He is very open and he's very public about his faith and his commitment to God. And everybody knew where Daniel stood. He prayed in public, he prayed over his meals, he prayed at home. And this is what the Bible says in verse 6. I mean, it's chapter 6, verse 5. Uh, so his, worker, his co-workers, they end up concluding, our only chance of finding any ground to get rid of Daniel will be to find something to accuse of his religious practices. They couldn't find anything wrong with the guy. So here's the scene. Could you imagine? There's, there's a new, new king, Darius. He appoints three guys to be governors over the empire. And one of them is Daniel. The, uh, he, he, he has, under, he has pro, all these administrators underneath him, and these guys don't like Daniel. We don't know why. Maybe it was because of his faith. Maybe it was because he was Jewish. And some of you have faced that kind of persecution or at least pre- prejudice at work. 
There are people around you that are, that are scheming against you. They want your office. They want you removed. And maybe it's because of what you believe. These administrators um, in this passage says they're actually called satraps in that period. And these satraps decide we're going to set a trap for Daniel. And they're saying, okay, we don't, we don't want this guy over us. We don't want him being our supervisor. He's too good. We're jealous. He's not even from our area. He's Jewish. And so they decide we're going to set a trap for him. And they said the only way we're going to be able to trap him is has to do something with his religion. Going down to verse 6, here's the plan that they come up with. So the ministers and high officials went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officials, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty will be thrown into a den of lions. And now your majesty, issue this and sign this law so it cannot be changed. An official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So the king signs this law. So what are they doing? They're smoozing the guy at first. They're like, come on, you're so mighty. You're so amazing. They start appealing to his ego. Why don't you make a, how about this? Wouldn't this be a great idea? Let's create a law where we just worship you and no one else for 30 days. He gets to say, why, why are they making, making this law up? Because they know the one guy who's not going to obey that law will be Daniel. So they think, now we'll set a trap for him. And they say, everybody's going to worship the king for 30 days. Have you guys heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den? That is this story. So anyone who doesn't follow this rule, they're going to be thrown into the lions, and they're going to be eaten to death. I just, I think it's, apparently in 600 AD, you didn't make it as a king unless you had a pit of lions. It was just a thing to do. Could you imagine if you're like, you know what, um, I need to get some hunters, we need to build a big pit, and we need to have lions, because if they're going to fear me as a king, I need to have a lion pit. So what's going on here? Uh, the Medes and the Persians, they actually had a rule that once something became a law, it could not be rescinded. Even if you're the king, the king was not allowed to revoke his own law. So they say, this is how we're going to get rid of Daniel. We don't like this guy. He's too good. He makes us look bad. They're so desperate to get rid of Daniel, they make a law just get rid of one person. Now, how does Daniel respond to this rule? And I was trying to, I was trying to think. He has some options. And so here are a couple of things he could have done. He could have accepted the law and just faked pray to the king for 30 days. He could have protested in the streets, although it being a dictatorship, I don't think that would work out very well. But um, he could have protested in the streets. He could have appealed to the king privately. He says, hey, you, you know who my God is. We sh- we're, we're buddies. You, you, should not, you should not allow this. He could have said to the king, hey, you need to help me out here. He could have kept praying to God and, and just done it in secret. And some of us might think, well, why not? That's okay if you... If all of a sudden uh, praying becomes illegal, you just you pray in secret. And yes, Daniel could have done that. But his enemies would have still won. 
The whole purpose of this law was to make one guy, Daniel, pull back on his faith and be embarrassed by it, to be ashamed of God and not to be public about his faith. They're trying to shut him up. They're trying to take away his religious liberty. What you're doing, Daniel, it's not politically correct. We don't want you praying in public. We don't want you talking about God. Or what Daniel could have done is he could have kept praying like he's done all his entire public life. So going down to verse 10, we see what Daniel does. When Daniel learned that the new law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down to pray as usual in his upstairs room. With its windows wide open towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he's always done his entire life, thanking and praising God. So Daniel's enemies went together to Daniel's house to catch him praying and asking for God's help. Now, why did Daniel do this? Why was he unafraid of this law? He goes, I I know what I'm about to do. I know I'm going to get penalized. I know I'm going to be thrown into a pit with a bunch of lions. Daniel goes, sorry, you know, I've been public about my faith my entire life. And it says he opens the windows. Daniel knows this is an act of disobedience. He knows that the law says if I obey God rather than man, I'm going to be thrown into this pit. And I just want to make clear, Daniel isn't um, showing off. He has done this his entire life. He's prayed in public. He's talked about in God in public. He's very public about his faith. And he stood strong for God in public. Now, why was Daniel fearless? Why was he unable to stand out at work? Why was he unafraid to speak to God? And I started thinking, and at least for me here, and I don't know if you guys would be as well, but if we all knew we were going to be thrown into a pit with lions, the main emotion all of us would feel is fear. And fear is not something I've conquered in my life. I'm still afraid at times. For example, I'm incredibly grateful to be working for this church, but the fear I have and the confidence of myself is constant. There is insecurity that I have that's very real. I've actually, um, I've been in ministry for 11 years now. And the first church that I worked for, I had the supervisor who just didn't think that highly of me. Um, he actually came to me once and he said, Scott, I just, I got a word from God. Um, God's speaking to me and I need to talk to you about it. So I sit down with him. Oh, great. What, what is it God's been telling you? And he said, God told me you're not called to ministry. You shouldn't be here anymore. For some reason, um, I'm still working at the church for several more months. And time and time again, he meets with me and says, Scott, you shouldn't be here. You're not called, called to ministry. You shouldn't be here. To the point, he comes to me once and says, Scott, I got to tell you something. I said, let me guess. And it was in a way where I shouldn't have at the time. I'm like, God told you I shouldn't be here. He's like, yes, you got it. It is a sign from God. You just confirmed it. I was thinking that way. You're thinking that way now. You should not be here. His words still haunt me today. I'm still in ministry, at least till the rest of this day that I know of. Um, (laughs) But I'm I'm still here. But his words still haunt me. This might sound a little strange for you guys, to some uh, some of you. But one thing that intimidates me more than anything else is writing and speaking messages like the one I'm doing right now. Nothing challenges me more. For those, 
uh, for you guys, uh, nothing frightens me or drains me more than, than doing what I'm doing right now. For those who wonder, it, it typically, it takes me 20 to 25 hours to research, write, and edit a message. It just, it never comes easy to me. And when our lead pastor, George, came to me and asked me, he's like, hey, I'd like you to teach on Daniel. I'm like, oh, that's an easy one. I can do Daniel. So I'm reading Daniel. I'm studying the, chat, the text. And this is a story I've read numerous times. We all know about Daniel the lion's den. And, and I'm like, he was bold. Daniel was fearless. He stood up for God. And I'm like, I am now having fear about talking about fear at church. <laughs> but here's what I'm learning about my fears. That what I fear the most is usually when I'm trusting God the least. When my fear is really high, typically my trust in God is really low. But 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Cast all your fears on him, for he will take care of you. I don't, I don't do that very well. I tend to cast all my fears onto myself, and I try to take care of all my fears by myself. But when I, what I'm trying to do these days, when I'm afraid, is try to recognize that, that fear to stop and identify that fear, and then I try to pray and give that fear to Jesus because he can handle it. To surrender and give him the control, and I have to choose to do it. I have to choose to do it. It's a deliberate decision to pray to God, say, I'm going to give you this fear. I'm going to trust that you will handle it. Because if you keep giving into fear, for example, like, I know I should make amends with that person, but I'm afraid to, or... I know I should ask forgiveness, but I'm afraid to. I know I should offer forgiveness, but I'm afraid to. I know I should talk to that person about the Lord, but I'm afraid to. Every time we give into fear, it just, at least for me, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon it, it can dominate your life. It keep, for me, it keeps pushing me further and further back until I'm against the wall and I can't do anything. Now, how do I get rid of fear? And the thing is, you like I feel as well. You know how do I get rid of fear? I'm gonna be the prime example today. Is uh, you do the thing that you fear, Uh, because fear is not logic; it's illogical. I have to move against it. That's why I'm here right now. God doesn't say, you know, before He splits the waters, you know, stand before the waters and say, "I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid," and then He moves the waters, and then you walk through. He says, "No, you first. And that's called faith. Will you trust me? So what does Daniel do? He opens the windows. I don't know what the outcome will, will be, but in order for God to work, I have to just take a step. And that is so key to having courage. In order for God to work in our lives, we have to take a step, even if it seems impossible, because nothing changes unless you, you take a step, unless I take a step. And maybe God will help. If we take a step, maybe God will do something. Maybe God will provide a way. Maybe God will provide a miracle we didn't anticipate. And maybe that's where some of you are today. Maybe God would urge you to take a step towards your marriage that's in trouble in some way. See if God will show up. Maybe it's in your career or your financial predicament. That's when God's power will show up when we take a step. And I've seen this in my life over and over. When I take a step, God 
will give you power and courage along the way. When we take a step, God will give you power and courage along the way. We have to take a step, and God will often give you the power. He'll often give you the courage. Now, I think all of us would prefer us to, um, for God to give us power and courage before the crisis. Daniel trusts that God will give him power and courage, but Daniel had to take a step. So I just want to get real practical for a minute. Uh, one thing, uh, he, Daniel's never going to see God's power in hiding. God's power doesn't show up when we're waiting back and we're not doing anything. God's power, God gives us power and courage along the way. When we say, you know, I, I don't know what the outcome is. I know it's not guaranteed. But I understand that I'm going to trust you and that you are going to show up and give me strength and courage along the way. Some of us are facing difficult decisions. And we're kind of hoping God will deal, do a miracle while I sit back and wait. Uh, some of us are hoping that I'm going to hear a voice from heaven or there'll be a message in the clouds. Or I'm waiting just for uh, all of a sudden a burst of courage. I don't want to disappoint you, but at least in my life, it usually doesn't happen that way. I don't think God's power and courage is going to strike me when I'm sitting back and I'm watching America's Got Talent. I don't know what you guys watch on TV, but I find that show a bit entertaining. But... Uh, Oh, sorry. I got to stop myself. I thought it was something random, so it's okay. All right, I'll say it anyways. So, America's Got Talent. This was this is entertaining to me. This uh, choir uh, sang this a wonderful song, and then the the people are like, "Oh, that's so unique. That's so original. We love it." The song is actually from a computer game from the '90s. They sang a song from a computer game. No one in the crowd had any idea. <laughs> And they're like, that's so unique, that's so original. So I just found that funny. And, and they, they won some golden award for a song that is from a computer game. So just thought that was entertaining. All right, so back to the message. Just got to stay focused. Okay, so when we make a stand for God, and I say, I'm scared to death to do that. You know what it's called when we're scared to do something? We do it anyways. It's called Courage. If you're not afraid, you're not courageous. Only people who are afraid are courageous. If you're not afraid, you don't need any courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing the right thing in spite of your fears. That's what makes a courageous woman or a courageous man. You do the thing you fear in spite of the fear, and that's called courage. Every time I stand up and do the right thing, every time I stand up for God, I stand up for truth and ethics and good things, everything. Standing for God is a victory over fear. And that is one of the biggest controlling factors that can be in our lives. If you can get victory over fear, you're going to be fearless. You're going to be amazing. You can do things that other people will never be able to do. Because most people are in a prison of self-imposed fear. They say, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do that. In fact, the fear is always bigger than the reality. I shared with you, teaching is a big fear of mine. There is a reason I enjoy working behind the scenes. And what is the worst thing that could happen to me if, um, through, through speaking? I don't have to do it anymore? Or... <laughs> Could that be the best thing that could happen to me? <laughs> well, we'll find out next time I'm up here. 
So the fear is always worse than the reality because the reality doesn't last a long time. But the fear can keep going on and on if you allow it to keep coming in your life. And you keep thinking about it and you keep thinking about it to the point it makes you miserable. You know you have an event out there in the future and you're afraid. And I, and I, I wrote this down. I read this in one of my uh, good books I read. It says, Best case scenario, if the news turns out better than expected, all this time was wasted with needless fear. Worst case scenario, you are miserable for extra time by choice. How do you deal and defeat with a controlling fear in your life? And, and here's the key. Anytime you want to defeat a controlling fear in your life, Daniel has this fear. I could be eaten by lions. But he obviously isn't worried about it. What you do is you have to minimize the potential problem, the potential negatives in this risk, and you maximize the potential benefits of doing the right thing even when you're scared to death. Um, uh, this this Friday I ended up um, go, going out uh, to Seattle for the day, and my friend Josh came and picked me up. Um, and my children knew about this, but my son, as soon as he saw Josh, he started crying. And we're at the door, and he's like, Daddy, you can't go. You can't go. Please don't go. And I'm like, we, we talked about this. I'm just going to Seattle. It's going to be okay. And he says, no, Daddy, please don't go. He goes to Josh. He says, are you taking my daddy away? And Josh says, oh, well, yes, but we're, but we're coming back. And I'm like, it's okay. And Jonah, with his tears, he goes, oh, don't go. Please don't go to the jungle. I'm like, the jungle? Why, why do you think I'm going to the jungle? And he's like, well, why is Josh then wearing a banana shirt? <laughs> why would that man be wearing a banana shirt unless we're clearly going to the jungle? And it was just amazing. You know in Seattle, in a dark alley, if a man came out with a banana shirt, that is a dangerous man in that alley. <laughs> you do not mess with a man with a banana shirt. And by the way, he got so many compliments that day with the banana shirt. <laughs> but he had all this fear, and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger of all these terrible things that could happen to me. And he ran with that fear without being able to process, be able to talk, just because he saw this banana shirt just immediately went through this fear. So let me say that again. One of the ways we deal with fear in our life is when we're afraid to do something, and you start to think, but this could happen, and this could happen. Well, what if this? And what if that? We start focusing on the potential negatives. And when we spend all of our time focusing on the negative, we're going to become more and more fearful. We have to mentally choose to shift our focus from potential negatives and then maximize what the potential benefits are of doing the right thing. What are going to be the benefits of it? And when you focus on that, it dramatically lowers your fears. So how did Daniel handle it? Well, the first thing we see here is he had a conversation with God three times a day. He had a conversation with God three times a day. Going back uh, to verse 10, it says, When Daniel learned that the new law had been signed, he went home and knelt down to pray as usual in his upstairs room. With his windows wide open towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day just as he's always has done his entire life, thanking and praising God. That, what that verse just said is he knelt down as, as usual in his upstairs room with the windows wide open, and he prayed three times a day his entire life. 
He had a conversation with God three times a day. Do you think if you and I talk to God three times a day of our life for up to all the way to 82 years, we'd be a little more bold? Yes, of course. Do you think if we had that conversation three times a day with God, it'd make us just a little more confident? A little less worried about what other people think? A little less worried of the disapproval of other people? Yes, of course. The more you pray, the more confidence you're going to have as a woman, as a man, at work, at school. When you're called to do the right thing, go, everybody else is against it, but it's the right thing to do. Daniel had a conversation with God three times a day, and that gave him strength. It doesn't matter about being on the right side of history. What matters is being right. And he remembered, this is the next thing, is Daniel also, he remembered that God was faithful in the past. God was faithful in the past. And what I mean by this is his entire life, you can look back and go, you know, every time that I've been through one of these threats, God, you've come through. Um, you've taken care of me. George, last week, he shared the, team, the king came and gave an impossible task, the previous emperor. And he said, I have this dream. I'm not going to tell you what the dream is, but it, not only do you need to tell me what the dream was I had, you need to interpret it. And what does Daniel do? He prays to God, and God provides him the answer to this king's dream. He provided an impossible situation to him. So Daniel's able to remember how God was faithful in the past. The whole reason I'm able to do what I do today is because God has never left me or failed me. And what's concerned to me is some of you here are completely alone when facing lions because you haven't invited Christ in your life through faith. Some of you here, you face all of life's difficulties without God. And honestly, I, I don't know how you can do that. If you, if for some of you wonder why you're afraid a lot, why you're anxious, you might think it could be because of a bad relationship or a lack of money or poor health. And that might be part of it. I'm telling you, many of you struggle with so much fear because it's you against the world. It's a you against any kind of crisis. It's a you against health problems. It's you against a job problem or even death. It's all on you. But this is what Jesus says in Matthew six twenty-five. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food or your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to them than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? We don't have to go through life alone. It doesn't have to be us against the world. He can stop a disease from spreading. He doesn't always do it, but he can. He can help you overcome any addiction, any loneliness, or failure you might have when you feel frightened. Jesus is alive today and resides in every believer through faith. So who is with you when you're facing lions? Who is giving you power and courage along the way? We need to remember how God has been faithful in the past. So going back to Daniel, uh, sure enough, when they caught Daniel, he was picked up. He's thrown into a pit of lions because he broke the law. And the news goes back to the king. The king is distraught because the king... The Bible says the king loved Daniel. 
And when he heard of this, and when he was thrown into them, the king couldn't eat, he couldn't sleep, he couldn't do anything. It says he stayed up all night. He was worried. It says he had no entertainment that evening, meaning he wasn't watching TV that night. And so he's nervous. And the next morning he wakes up and he goes, I know Daniel trusts his God. He's not my God, but he's Daniel's God, and I wonder if he'll help him out. And this is where the story picks up down in verse 19 of chapter 6. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the pit filled with lions. When he got there, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, my God sent his angels and he shut the mouths of the lions and they have not hurt me at all. Because God knew I've done nothing against him or you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the pit. And when Daniel was lifted out, there was not a single scratch on his body because he had trusted God. You know, I think that's a, that's a pretty particular question for an unbeliever, asking, has your God saved you? But uh, this is so key to the story. Uh, Daniel knew the rewards were greater than the risk. Daniel knew that the rewards were greater than the risk. The reward of doing the right thing was greater than those risks. Was it risky for him to disobey the law? Of course. He was thrown thrown into a pit of lions. Was it an actual pit? Yes. And you know what? God could have kept him out of the pit of lions, but he allowed him to go into that pit. And God shut the mouths of the lions. This is something to think about. Which would have been a bigger miracle? Not going into the pit? Or for God to go ahead and close that mouth of the lions? Listen, there's, there's some problems you and I would like God to keep us out of. But God's going to let us go into some problems. And he's going to solve them in a miraculous way. And there's more glory for him in that. He's not going to keep us out of every problem. He puts us sometimes into a pit. And some of us, we're in a pit right now. Some of you guys, you could put names to your lions. The people who are trying to devour you. The people trying to eat you up. The people who want to ruin your life. They don't like you for whatever reason. When you're in a pit or you're facing a bunch of hungry lions, and often God's not going to keep them away. He'll let you go into the pit. And then he'll do a miracle of shutting the mouths of those lions. Which is the bigger miracle? And But there were rewards for doing the right thing, but there was also risk. And Daniel knew the rewards were greater than the risk. If you ever get put in, in a pit or a difficult situation, what do you do? You praise God. You thank God in advance. You trust God. It gives God a chance to do a miracle. So take a look what happens. Look at, there's more, more than just the miracle of God closing the mouths of these lions. Going down to verse 25 of chapter 6. Then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who lived on the whole earth, may your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in my royal dominant dominion, people must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. 
His kingdom will never be destroyed. His dominion has no end. That guy just crossed over the line. That King Darius has now been saved. When we go to heaven, I I believe we're going to see King Darius. And it says, He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in heavens and on earth. And he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. When you stand up for God, it is a powerful example to unbelievers. When you stand up for God, it is a powerful example to unbelievers. And the result of this story, another king becomes a believer. King Darius, a pagan king, comes to faith in God. This is the second guy where Daniel has led his boss to faith. And something very important I, want to, I need to point out here. Do you think King Darius would have responded that way and gave his life to God if Daniel was kind of a jerk? How effective would have Daniel been if, if the king asked, you know, has your God rescued you? And he's like, you're going to pay for this. You have no idea what you were thinking. And, and the reason why I'm pointing point this out is I th- a lot of Christians can be obnoxious. And they say, oh, I'm being persecuted for my faith. You're not being persecuted for your faith. You're not nice. <laughs> you're judgmental. You know these people. This is why you're laughing. You're self-centered. You're self-righteous. That's not being persecuted of your faith. Look what Jesus says on, on the Sermon of the Mount for being persecuted. In Matthew 5.11. This is what Jesus says. Consider yourself blessed if people put you down or throw you out. Or speak lies about you because of me. If that happens, be happy, knowing that you will be rewarded greatly in heaven. And remember, you are in good company. They did the same to all my witnesses before you. My friends, it pays if you get put down because you humbly, humbly spoke up for the truth. You humbly shared Christ's love. If we, in total compassion, share Jesus' plan and the good news for this world, if you're put down, you're thrown out, and you lose your job, people lie about you, If they do that because you're a follower of Christ, Jesus says, if that happens because of me, be happy. And when you get to heaven, it says you will be rewarded. I want all of us to be greatly rewarded. And to have the courage to stand up, whether that's at work, whether that's school, whether it's to do the right thing. And Jesus says, you know, and just, you know, something like this is, you know, I am a believer in Christ. I know not everybody agrees with this. But he's changed my life, and I'm so grateful. I don't serve him out of duty. I serve him out of love. I'm so grateful that my my past has been forgiven. I have a purpose for living. I got a home in heaven. What's the big deal with that? Where else are you going to get that? Wouldn't it be great if you could lead your boss to faith? Wouldn't it be great if you could lead, lead your employer? with the owner of your company, the owner of your corporation, all of a sudden had faith in Christ? What's it going to take? Boldness. And because Daniel had courage, another king finds God. And, and to be honest with you guys, as I'm hitting a bunch on courage right now, um, I, most mornings I don't wake up and feel very courageous. Um, I, I usually wake up at 6 a.m. every morning. Some of you guys, that's early. Some of you guys, that's not. 
Um, and I don't wake up early because I enjoy it. Um, but I wake up, I have a cup of coffee, I have my Bible, I have my journal, and I wonder, God, are you going to show up one more time? But after a few minutes of reading my Bible and prayer, and by the way, I don't necessarily read my Bible and pray because I feel like it. Like Daniel, I know the rewards are greater than the risk. What is the risk of me not spending time with God compared to what could those rewards be if I spend time with him? I do it because if I don't, I am scared to death on what, on the possibility of what I could miss out that God could say to me that day. I don't want to miss out on God. I don't want to miss out what he has for me that day. And that's why I daily spend time in prayer and in the Bible, and that's why I wake up early every morning. I do it because I have to. I have to hear from God. And so after spending some time with my Bible and prayer, you know, I, I, I take a step, and amazing things happen. I get inspiration from a verse I never thought about. I find that God gives me power and courage, friends, over and over along the way. And then I open up my journal. So I actually brought my journal. And I look at the front of it. And I actually have something written that I, I try to look at every single day. And so this is, what I, this is what I have. And this is what I ask. God, what are you doing today? And how can I help? First thing I ask is when I, this is, this is my prayer life. God, what are you doing today? And how can I help? And then I wrote this as a personal reminder for me. It says, every day, in every moment, you get to exercise choices that will determine whether or not you will become a great person living a great life. Greatness is not something predetermined, predestined, or carved into your fate by forces beyond your control. Greatness is always in the moment of the decision. And right below that, I have this one thing. Um, and I, I pray this over and over. God, help me know the right thing to do and give me the courage to do it. I see, I think most of the times in our faith, we know what the right thing to do is, but we struggle to have the courage to do it. I actually pray this prayer almost every evening with my kids because when they go to school, I know I'm not there to help give them guidance. I pray that with them that, you know, God, you're going to know the right thing to do. It's just having the courage to do it. So we pray together, God, would you help our family? Would you help us to have the courage to do the right things? So what is it you're most afraid of? And you say, well, I'm afraid to talk about my faith. Why? Well, what will they think of me? I could lose my job. I could lose a relationship. Are the rewards worth the risk? So the last verse I have for today is in Ephesians 1, 19. It says, I also pray, this is from Paul, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in place of honor at God's right hand in the heaven. Living inside of each of us, if you are a follower of Christ, not only is God always with you, but the same God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is living inside those who are believers in spirit. And in the same God is right besides me. It's right besides you. 
and living inside, then God gives me the gives from his power. And with his power, I'm pretty sure I can survive my next meeting. I'm pretty sure I can survive next time if I'm asked to teach. I know I can write my next message. I can survive my next conflict. I know God can give me the power who's living inside to overcome that relationship. And so I want to ask all of you, do you have God's power and courage to help you along the way like Daniel? Or is it you against the world? If you are a follower of Christ, Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So where, where do you feel weak today? Where do you feel inadequate? Where do you feel hopeless? Maybe it's in a situation that feels absolutely impossible. I'd like to suggest to you that it's at the weakest, most vulnerable point that maybe when that may be the place that you need to take that step. You need to open the windows like Daniel so that his power and courage can show up along the way. What step might you need to take to become courageous? Let's pray. Father, I just I, I thank you for who you are, Lord. Um, God, I thank you that you do give us the, the power and courage to come along, come along the way. God, I, I pray for those in here, and maybe some of us, it, it does feel like it's us against the world. Lord, I pray for those here that um, if I don't have a relationship, would you, would you reveal that to them? Would you make it be so that they don't have to go alone anymore? They don't have to go against the alone anymore. God, would you be us this throughout this week? I pray for those who are facing lions right now, Lord, that as we take a step of faith, that your power and courage will come along the way.